Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put our area code 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's absolutely right, and we sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks from Baton Rouge and all around. And beyond. Great United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We've got Mark's been patient. Hold on. Good morning, Mark. Oh, Clark, I'm sorry. Oh. Go ahead. That's all right. I called y'all last week. I had a 2004 Camry with a throttle body. Got a code. Yes, sir, I remember. I, yes, opened. Sir. I did some research, and I was able to find an aftermarket one. Okay. I got it last night, and I put it on, and I was just wondering, it starts up fine, but is there anything I need to do as far as procedure to clear out anything besides the codes? Well, it's going to need to learn idle, Clark, but it will do that pretty much on its own. Basically, uh-huh. what you may want to do is what we call a brain-dead and that's where we disconnect both the battery terminals, leave them apart for a few minutes, even touch them together just to kill any memory that might be. And then when you go to restart the car, it's going to idle kind of rough at first. Just uh-huh. let it kind of do its thing until it smooths out. And there's, what you want is you want it in part with the air conditioner off. Let it run until it smooths out. Once it smooths out, go ahead and turn the air conditioner on. And again, it may start to stumble just a little bit. Let it sit there and do its thing until it can idle smooth again. Next thing, go ahead and drop it down in gear with your foot on the brake. Again, mm-hmm. same thing. It may stumble just a bit until it learns, but that's mm-hmm. how it will learn. Once it learns idle, there should be nothing else you have to do. Okay, good. Yeah, it started up fine. I did disconnect the battery during the week, mm-hmm. but it's been, off. it's been off for a while. Well, it should be that's brain good. dead. Yeah. And like I said, it will relearn on its own. It's just if you do that little procedure, it speeds it up just a little bit. If you don't do it, it'll still learn it. And yeah, even yeah. when you do do it, it's going to continue to refine its idle uh-huh. until it gets it exactly where it wants. That can take up to two days. I got you. And so yeah, it'll idle smoother and better and more consistently as it sees all the different situations. You know, like any computer, it starts to average things out. And if it's got 10 samples, it gets one average. If it's got 10,000 samples, it gets a different right. average. I got you. I used to do process control. Mm-hmm. Well, you understand all that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't have the specs for all this to know mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah, so, yeah, it turned out to be pretty good. It took me a while to find it. As long as you don't have a California model car or whatever, yeah, you, right. can, you can save some significant butt. Yeah, I would imagine, company. yeah, the California editions generally have a lot of different emissions-type devices on it, and they don't really like letting you substitute that. Same thing with catalytic converters and mm-hmm. ECMs and a lot of other things. The California cars are unique, and you don't have to live in California to have a California emissions car. Oh, we would run across them in Baton Rouge all the time. It's just yeah. they didn't build two cars. They built one and made it meet the California standard. So. Yeah, it took me a couple times to make sure that it was right. I Eventually, I just had to pull the part off mm-hmm. and give them the part number just to be able to confirm That's that it was right. That's the best way. Yeah, even if you get in a VIN, sometimes you may end up. But if you give them the number off the part, if they got a number on the part, that's yeah. good. Yeah, it was amazing. Toyota told me a different part number, and then the parts house told me a different yeah. one. And when I took it off, and then they finally got it right. But it was amazing how I always thought if you had the VIN number, you would get the right part number. Not, necessarily. Not necessarily. That increases your odds considerably of getting the right thing, but it's not a silver bullet. You know, We still have issues where we have to go and do this. And, oh, yeah, that one's got yeah, 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 second design, first design. I mean, the proliferation of parts in the automotive business is just incredible. Yeah, but anyway, but at least hopefully this will work. I just I just wanted to make sure there was no other procedures because I don't well, want to have to tow that sucker back home again. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that'll take care of you, man. Okay, you guys have a nice weekend. All right, Clark, thanks, thanks for calling, much. man. Thank uh-huh. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd absolutely love to have you. And we've got Danny online. Good morning, Danny. How are you? Doing great, man. I've got a question for you. I've got about a little over 5,000 miles on a 2015 Highlander. Okay. Uh, it's got the V6 mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. And we took it to the dealer to have the oil changed for the 5,000-mile deal. And my wife took it and texted me and told me that they recommended doing it at 10,000 miles. Yeah, I would disagree with that, Danny. Actually, mileage is not a good indication of oil change need. The way you operate the vehicle is the indication of how you change your oil. For instance, if you work in Gulfport, Mississippi and live in Baton Rouge and you drive 125 miles one way all day long, well, yeah, you could probably go out pretty long on your oil changes because your oil is up to full operating temperature. It's hot. It's boiling the moisture out and all that. But if you're like most normal people, and in this area at least, you average trip as you get in the car, you go to work, it's maybe three to five miles. So the car never gets to full temperature. Now, what happens is you turn it off, the moisture kind of condenses, the oil picks it up, which is what it's supposed to do. You crank it up again, repeat the cycle over and over and again. Well, under those conditions, by the time you get to 5,000 miles, that oil is so moisture-laden, it's starting to turn to acid, it's starting to attack the parts of the engine. So I think, to me, we need to get away from mileage as the indication for oil change. Its use is going to dictate that. Now, another thing, Danny, and this is just me, when I buy a new car, I like to change that all the first time real soon. I'm talking 1,500 to 2,000 miles. Reason being, I worked in an engine rebuilding company many years ago and did our absolute best to make those engines nice and clean and all that. But there's a break-in on every engine because all the cylinder walls have been honed, the piston rings are going to seat, and all this kind of stuff. You're going to generate a good deal of metal and debris. I like to get that out of that engine. Now, some people say it's not necessary. That's great. They don't have to do it. But you know, all changes are real cheap compared to the engine. So if it were my car, I would insist that that all get changed. And, again, a lot depends on the way you operate the car. But most of those all change intervals now are dictated. Basically, they want to try to make the car seem to be cheaper to keep so they give you a much longer interval. If you're going to keep the car for 100,000 miles and then trade it off or crush it or get rid of it, then that's fine. You can kind of follow that. If you're like me and you have to keep a car 15 years and put 200,000 miles on it, that's not a real good plan. Yeah, and, my, you know, that I've read all that on your website mm-hmm. and everything. And, I mean, I, I've always pretty much changed the oil in my vehicles at mm-hmm. 3,000 miles. Yes, sir. And I didn't know about the use so much, the mileage, you know, until I read on your website mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that's my wife drives the car from Zachary to Central you now every day. So mm-hmm. that's. I mean, she stops at stop signs here right, and there. Right, right. But, I mean, she's going 23, 20, 23 miles to you there. One and way, 23 yeah. miles. So, well, so I mean. Those are pretty good conditions. I mean, you could probably get 5,000 miles on all change under those conditions. You don't have to change at three, but I would not try to push it out no. 10. I mean, I no, just, and, and I, I, I think was, that's false I, economy. I, I let them go ahead and do what they were going to do. I'm going to insist that I have it changed yeah. and then every 5,000 at least yeah. that. Well, it's kind of like people say a lot of times, suppose they're right and you're wrong. Okay, well, you spent a little bit more money on all changes than you would have had to. Suppose you're right and they're wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now you're buying an engine. (laughs) Yeah, my next question is, in in the manual, it Mm -hmm. says to you, and they pulled up the VIN number. Probably 0W20. Yeah, Mm -hmm. 0W20. Is is it 
Oh, it's synthetic. Yes. Okay, well, I because don't really, well, I've never used that stuff. So. Well, you got to use synthetic on that engine. That's not an option because that's a timing chain engine. And you see, okay. that timing chain is not like the one you had in your 350 Chevrolet. Yeah, 350 yeah. Chevrolet is overhead valve engine. The timing chain is about a foot long. That one's got chains that are probably about six feet long driving those overhead cams, and it's got variable cam timing. So it's got to have that oil to meet the specs to protect that chain. So yeah. that's not an option. We buy the Toyota oil from Toyota in a 55-gallon drum, and that's what we put in them. Yeah. If you bought that at an auto parts store, would it not be the same as Toyota? As long as it meets mm-hmm. Toyota's spec. But if you go to the Toyota dealer and price it, you're going to be shocked because it's pretty reasonable. They sell yeah. that all at a pretty reasonable price. It's probably less expensive than Mobile One. So it's better buy at just to go buy it there. That's what I do. Have, yeah. And, and you know another thing. shop will do that. Yeah, that's what we do. I mean, we buy it in 55-gallon drums from Toyota. Or you can buy it yourself you and, buy and yourself supply it to whoever's going to change it. That's right. But while you're there, go ahead and pick up a couple filters, too. Yeah, Toyota filters. Toyota well, filters. Well, that's my question. Should I change the filter oh, yeah. every oh, yeah. 5000 Yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, a fil- yeah. Toyota filter is about 4 bucks, And all it's going to take out is the heavy particles. It's not going to take out the liquid contaminants. Right. Yeah, I read that on your website, right. too. And, and, I mean, I didn't know that much yeah. about all. And I know a lot about motors, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how it, the additives and all that right. stuff. Right. They deplete. And, Danny, it's just considered cheap insurance. I mean, we pay insurance yeah. on everything and hope we never need it, but it's just cheap insurance. And they did mention in the book that if you had to go without the zero, right. you could. 520. Five, well, 520. Yeah, 520. Like and mineral oil, is that different? Well, then? no, they say 520, but that's going to be a synthetic also. But you, do, you go back to the 020 on your Right, that's for yeah, one, change, one change only. Right, and there's when they first came out with the 020, it was a little bit hard to get because it was a kind of a new oil, but it's pretty prevalent now right. because, I mean, all your yeah. Toyotas take it, a lot of your Hondas take it, a lot of American cars take it. So, I mean, I would go with the 020, and I'd buy the Toyota oil. Reason being, ever have a problem with your engine, you can pull up your receipt and say, look, I put your oil in there, Hoss. <laughs> you know, I don't want to hear any, any excuses about I put the wrong oil because I, yeah. you know, I bought what you sell, and I put in there. And I have to use that synthetic in you do. There yes, on yes, this motor. Yes, okay. yes, and my, uh, my other question about the, the stop and go, on Saturday and Sunday we use it around town, mm-hmm. go to church and that yes. kind of thing. You would consider, you think, 5000 would be safe under those driving conditions? I think conditions? probably so because you're getting the long drives during the week. I mean, it doesn't have to be every single trip. It's just the majority of your trip. It kind of averages out. But yeah. put around on weekends, you pick up a little moisture, but Monday morning when she drives 25 miles, you can boil it back out again, so... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's my only other question about. I have a, a Tundra, a Toyota Tundra, mm-hmm. that's got the V8 in it, and it's a uh, 03, I think. Yeah, 03. Mm-hmm. And it's got like 175,000 miles yes. on it. Mm-hmm. I've pretty much changed, and I drive to Baton Rouge every day mm-hmm. and interstate, So, and, but I'm in stop and go some. You know how the traffic is. But right. I change it usually at about three to five. Not a bad idea. It's four seven. Four point seven. That's going to be a timing belt motor. So, with a timing belt, lubrication is a lot less critical because you don't have to lubricate yeah. those chains. But you have the maintenance of a belt now instead you of a chain. You have to replace so, the belt when it. Yeah. Right. It yeah, kinda, I've replaced that. Yeah. Okay, um, good. That one is that kind of mileage. Is there any recommendations no. on like stay, high mileage? No, no, oil not, or, don't ever go to that. Yeah. Just stay right with what you're doing. Don't ever change your okay. oil brand. All right, well, because the previous owner had put pencil in it, and that's what I've been using. Yeah, in it. No, so keep doing whatever you're doing. Don't change it. And then on the 
the other thing I was reading in the book, it's been a long time ago I read in there about the, I don't tow a boat or anything, but it said something about the transmission fluid, like you shouldn't change it. No, it needs to be changed. I'd like to change it at about 50,000 miles. Toyota, I think, recommends around 100, but again, again, it's cheap insurance. You get a lot of debris and stuff generated. The fluid starts to break down, and when you figure a transmission service is under $200 and a transmission is $4,000, it just doesn't yeah. make sense. Well, I haven't ever changed it, and I bought it at like ninety five thousand. Yeah, and I don't know what the previous owner did. I couldn't find any record that he changed it, but they did say in the book that you didn't have to change it unless you pulled boats or pulled trailers all the time. Or, yeah, right. And what they is they're talking about? They consider the lifetime of a vehicle to be a hundred thousand miles. So when they say it's lifetime fluid, that's predicated on that. That's a hundred thousand miles. You gonna throw it away after that, but you gonna keep it out longer than that. You will definitely benefit from a service. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm up against a break. I'm gonna have to go ahead and get out. If you got anything else, just hang on through the break. My way, take the highway. That's the best. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. 40 years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> Ho, ho, ho! Lewis! Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvin, with Mr. Brian Terry. And if you have an automotive question, why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll be glad to hear from you and try to give you some free advice. We got Mike from Fort Lauderdale. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate your show. You bet. Well, thank thank you. you. All right. Listen, I have a 2007 Hyundai Tucson 2.0. Okay. And I'm chasing a P0102 code. It shows mass airflow sensor. I cleaned that really mm-hmm. well a okay. couple of times with mm-hmm. the, the spray. Yes, sir. Hook the, the air box up, check for any kind of cracks or leaks or anything like mm-hmm. that. A couple of the symptoms I'm having is when it, it, it idles really well, but at a stoplight after 30 seconds, it'll shudder. Feel a real pronounced shudder, and then it'll idle fine again. And then the other quick question with that, I wonder, is it when the light is on, I turn it off almost every day with my little scan tool, and it seems that the transmission shifts a lot differently when the light is on. Well, yeah, that may, yeah, that. Yeah, it may very well do that, because okay. when you've got a code, an active code in memory, it's going to change the way the computers communicate, and it may have a default setting that it goes to. It may kick the pressures up on the transmission or something to protect it, because it knows it's a code. The shutter is synonymous with the light, and there's light comes on, and then you get the shutter? No, it, it shutters with shutters the light on or off. Okay. Could be that's two different issues, and it could be just bringing it on. Normally, when you've got an airflow meter code, what you're going to need to do is get a tool that will read the grams per minute the airflow meter is reading. Then there's a number okay. of calculations you have to do and see if that is the right amount because an airflow meter can read 
but read wrong, which is going to set a light. There's the fact that it's reading doesn't mean it's reading correctly, and you've got to have some fairly sophisticated stuff to determine that. Now, the secondary thing is if there are any air leaks anywhere in the car, it's going to fool the airflow meter because what it's doing, the computer knows based on what the oxygen sensors are saying about how much air should be coming into the engine. If it does not agree, then the plug figure is going to be what they call fuel trim. So you can have right. to go to fuel trim and see if that's excessive or not. And if it is, then you've got to see why. For instance, if you've got an injector that's dribbling slightly, in other words, it's not completely sealing off when it commands it to close, it's going to interfere with the air-fuel mixture, which may throw a airflow meter code, not because it doesn't have a code for a fuel injector. So all it knows is the air-fuel mixture is wrong, but it doesn't know why. Another is a leak anywhere in the system, like, for instance, if one of the intake gaskets is leaking or anything like that, it's going to set that. Another thing is if the oxygen sensors are reading but not reading correctly because it's looking at those comparing the readings. If they don't agree, all it knows is they don't agree, it may set an airflow meter code. It just so, depends on the way the, the programmer wrote the program right, to turn the light on. Without a whole lot more equipment and probably expertise than what you're going to have, it's going to be very, very difficult to find that. It sounds like you've already done all the easy stuff. Probably, Mike, would be a lot less expensive to take that to somebody, have them check it, and tell you what it is, even if you want to do the repair yourself. Especially if it's right. occurring every day. Yeah, because you're going to tearing something up. Right. You're going to take out a catalytic converter or something if the air fuel mixture's off. And so, and quit clearing the codes. Leave those codes in there because not only does it set a code, but it sets a freeze frame, which you may not be able to see with your tool, but the tech who goes in can see that freeze frame data. He can see fuel trim. It's so each time you reset it, you destroy all that. So okay. leave it in, drive it, and then bring it to somebody good and competent. I'd say in less than an hour he can diagnose that problem before you tell exactly what it is. Then if he wants too much to fix it, you can always fix it yourself. But it's yeah. just sometimes it's way cheaper because, I mean, your other option is, okay, well, let's change this and see what happens. Let's change this see what happens. You don't have a $6,000 smoke machine to smoke the intake to see if it's leaking. So sometimes it's better to pay somebody. It's just cheaper than to yeah. try to stumble through this and, and get there because you're just not going to have – the tooling or the expertise to probably diagnose this, it can be a very, very difficult diagnosis. And you may be taking off good parts and putting on inferior parts. Well, that's right. And you causing other problems. Go to a parts store, buy a new airflow meter, put it on, and it may be defective, and the original one was good, so you still got a code. And you so see, on, on and on and on. Kind of snowballs go. from there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the bad thing about it is that you got to turn your old one in for a core, and once you do that, it's gone. Yeah, that's right. You're not getting it back. Yeah. Excellent advice, gentlemen. One quick follow-up. You bet. Would this... You gave a lot of options, but so I turn the code off before starting the car, and it will the the check engine light will not come back on the whole time I'm driving. Yeah, whether it's but until the next time. Yeah, so it's probably a two trip code. Right, it has to see it has to occur in two different drive cycles. A lot of codes are two trip, some are three trip. But the point is, you don't want to keep resetting it because you're destroying all the data that the tech's going to need to fix the car. So that it may need an overnight cold soak to run the test the next morning. So it see, is a, there's a lot of parameters that the computer has to see before it will actually initiate a test. Yeah, it may flag that as a pending code. The next morning it sees a cold start, and then it runs a test again. And it fails the it test, is. and it so turns it, light it, on. It will require two drive cycles to show. Excellent info. I'm glad I called. Thank you, John. All right, Mike. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. The man with the 
whiskers has a lot behind it, but I can't keep punching with a victory crew. When you're making me punch you with that bottle move, I wanna give my all if I'm gonna give it, but I gotta. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> Hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You're up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back. Just join us on Motive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersland, Mr. Brian Terry, sitting right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction, get you some free advice. Get you started and maybe well, get you stopped. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever one you might happen to need. And we're going back to our phone lines. Carl, good morning, Carl. Good morning. Now, I've got one for you. Okay. I drive between two and 300 miles a day. Wow, okay. And my engine is idling 12 hours a day. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty tough. And I, now, I change it monthly. Yeah, yeah. It changes oil monthly. It's a, it's a synthetic oil that yeah, has to be used. Yeah, probably not a bad idea, Carl. What you're going to need to do on that vehicle is forget about the miles so much and go by the hours. Right. Because the vehicle's sitting there idling, which is very inefficient use of the engine, and it's not showing up on your miles. But right. what kind of vehicle is it? It's a Mazda 5. Yeah, you might check and see. That's not something they normally display to you, but there are like some little obd2 readers that you can get that will actually show you engine hours and those are pretty inexpensive they plug into the little connector and that's pretty handy way of actually judging when you're under different conditions from everybody else and you can't do what everybody else does right the other thing is just change it what you consider pretty frequently and and hope for the best when it's sitting there idling there's a real hard on it because the cooling system is pretty much maxed out it's not turning very fast it is generating heat the fuel system is not as efficient. You know, it's just a kind of a hard, hard thing, and it's not showing up on your miles. Showing 200 miles, but you may have way inordinate number of hours. So you're going to kind of need to go to an hour interval on that. Okay. All, All right. right. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we always love hearing from folks. And we've got Scott online. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Yes, sir. I'm getting a little noise, O3 Camry, getting a little noise upon accelerating from a stop, slow acceleration. Just basically when you first tap the gas, seems to be only happening when the air conditioner is running. But it's the best way I guess I could describe it would be maybe like a, a just a quick little chirping sound yeah. or a little... I tell you what, squealy. Scott, the most common thing for that by a wide, wide, wide measure is going to be the belt on it because the air conditioner is actually, does that have one belt on it or does it have two belts? I want to say it's uh, one big one. Some have mm-hmm. one and some have two, depending on what engine and stuff you have. But if the belt, you see the, the air conditioner pulls, oh, geez, probably close to 40 horsepower. 
particularly when you're sitting there idling, you don't have much air going through the condenser, and the head pressure is really high. When that engine accelerates, it speeds up real fast, and the compressor can't quite keep up. So if the belt's not in really good shape and really tight, then it's going to slip, and that slip's going to give you a and once it slips a time or two, it gets real hot, which and softens it up. It sticks. And, and it, so it starts getting a little more sticky, so right. it may not slip. But check and see. Again, depends on what engine you have. If the engine has a belt tensioner, and depending on how many miles you've got, if you've got over 100,000 miles on the car, I would recommend changing the belt and the tensioner. Now, some Toyotas do not have a tensioner. They use a manual tensioner, in which case you just manually adjust it. What you might try is just adjust it a little bit tighter and see if noise goes away. If the belt has not been changed, say, in the last five years, I would probably just replace the belt and be sure you tension it tight enough. But I would almost guarantee you that will get rid of that noise. I mean, I've seen the odd, odd case where there was a bolt loose in the compressor and the compressor was moving on the engine, or I've seen an AC clutch make a noise kind of like that. But those are real obscure and the most common thing by far is going to be that belt. Yeah. All right, well, look, you guys replaced the big uni belt, as I like to call it, once in the last couple years. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if it's got the two or the one or whatever. But And you might just check and see the uh, if it's got an auto tensioner on it, then I would probably be looking at replacing that tensioner because they do wear out. I mean, in 100,000 miles, that tensioner goes through one billion cycles. Now, like I said, some Toyotas don't use an auto tensioner. They use a manual tensioner. Now, with a manual tensioner, you really have to go back and retension your belt at intervals because it doesn't automatically tighten itself. So after a couple of years, that belt's going to seat in. It's going to get a little bit looser. You're going to have to go back and retension it, which is pretty simple, too. So how would I just – is there any way I could – when I look, what am I looking for? Well, do you know what a tensioner looks like? Well, there you go. There's the first problem. Okay. Yeah, I, I, tell you, I, tell I tell you what you can do. When you open the hood, the engine's off, you look at the belt, find the longest stretch that you can reach with your hand, and uh-huh. kind of grab it and kind of move it. Kind of, You have to pull on it kind of hard. But if, if you pull on it kind of hard and you see one of the pulleys move, then it has an automatic tensioner on it. Right. Gotcha. And then you can kind of eyeball there from where the tensioner is. How many miles you got, Scott? 250. Yeah, with that yeah, kind yeah. of mileage, if it's the original tensioner, it's I would definitely pretty keep, well worn yeah. out. You know, they don't last forever. And if it doesn't have a tensioner, then the belt probably just needs to be retensioned. Okay. All right, good deal. All right. Okay, Scott, thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We've still got plenty of time left. That's right. Should you happen not to want to call us today or think of something after we go off the air or even next week at midnight, that's right. You can always get your questions answered through our website. And the address is agcoauto.com. That is A G C O A U T O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. That's right. It couldn't be easier. Scott brought up a good point that I kind of want to talk just a little bit about, and uh-huh. that is collateral parts that you might suggest changing when you're doing other repair. Okay. The, I got the idea because I had a, a listener who wrote in, sent me an email, and he asked about that. What type parts do you change when you change something else? Mm-hmm. And, of course, the first thing, like Scott was mentioning, when you've got a belt that you're replacing on a high-mileage car, when I say high-mileage, 100000 or more, Right. you might very well consider changing the tensioner. 
because it's a lot easier to change with the belt off. Sure. And the same thing with the tensioner. If you change the tensioner, you might want to consider the belt. The two kind of go hand in hand. Right. There's some shared labor. There's shared labor. So it's less expensive to replace both. Now, obviously, if the belt's just been changed and the tensioner goes out, then you just reuse the belt. Sure. You're not or vice versa. advocating changing stuff that doesn't need to be changed. But a lot of times when you're making one type of repair, it's much less labor to go ahead and do something else in the area correct for instance another thing that comes to my mind going along with belts would be like when you change a timing belt uh-huh it's a good bit of labor to tear the entire front of the motor down to change the timing belt right now, that's probably 80 percent of your labor is getting into the belt absolutely and most of the time they're due at around ninety thousand to hundred thousand miles something so like that at that kind of mileage you got to think okay the water pump is a consumable item. It won't last forever. It's behind the cover with the timing belt. It's right there. So do we want to go ahead and change the water pump while we're here? Because it's pretty much the price of the water pump and maybe the coolant at that point. But let's say we change the timing belt and don't change the water pump. Well, a year later, six months later, it goes out again. The water pump goes out. Well, now you're doing the entire job over. And if that coolant pours all over your brand new timing belt, you're doing that job over as well. So... The point is, sometimes uh, you don't want to be penny-wise and dollar-foolish. Uh-huh. Spending a little bit more money to go ahead and change some other things in the area might save you a whole lot of money and frustration and problems down the road. Sure. You know, another thing that comes to my mind is on spark plugs. A lot of spark plugs now are under the intake manifold. Right. So let's say you've got a valve cover that's leaking, and you've got maybe 80,000 miles on your car. Well, we have to take the intake manifold off to get this valve cover off. Now, while I've got the intake off and the valve cover off, those spark plugs are sitting right there. That's right. Really easy to get to. And they may not be due until 100,000 miles, but I've got 80. So I'm eight-tenths of the way there. Right now, there's no extra labor for me to change them. If I put it all the way back together, next year when they are due, I've got to pull the intake back off again. So you're going to incur probably a two, two-and-a-half-hour labor charge, which is far more than the cost of a set of spark plugs. Sure. So that's something that would make sense to go ahead and do while you're in there. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing is when you're changing the spark plugs, say you've got a V8 Chevrolet engine. Okay. 100,000 miles, you change the spark plugs. Well, those little spark plug wires are right there. Right. After 100,000 miles, they're pretty much glued to the plugs. They are, and what ends up happening is when you go to take the plug wire off, you end up breaking it. So that, you're you're into a plug wire anyway while you're after the plugs. So why not go ahead and do them all together? Well, that's right. Or you stretch it and you cause a little bit of damage to it because you have to force to get it off and it fails right down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, now you got a misfire, which ends up taking out a catalytic converter. You had one end of the plug wire off anyway. They've got 100,000 miles on them. They won't last forever. That's right. It just makes sense to go ahead and jump in. And you know, in that particular job, I usually take the plug wires off on both ends mm-hmm. because I find it easier they come off the coil a whole lot easier than they come off of the spark plug. That's right, and you can kind of get it off a little better. And right. Of course, there's a number of things like that. There are. One thing comes to mind is a thermostat. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have to change the thermostat. Well, you, you're you into the cooling system. you got to drain the cooling system. Right. So go ahead and do it now. Service the coolant, change the thermostat, put it back together. Another thing would be if, you cha- if you're servicing your cooling system and it's pretty contaminated that got a lot of rust and stuff in that cooling system well why not change the thermostat because all this trash and debris has been going through that old thermostat and my experience once the thermostat gets dry for a while they tend to stick well if it's been sitting under coolant for a hundred thousand miles all of a sudden you drain it out and air hits it that's usually when they tend to give problems 
right. So if you don't change it, you end up putting the cooling system back together, you refill it, and two weeks later, the thermostat hangs up. Mm-hmm. Was it? engine starts overheating. That's right. You do not want that. I mean, it's just as easy to go ahead and change it with all the coolants because now you have to redrain the coolant out to get back to the thermostat. Right. And at best, you could catch what you take out, but it's going to get dirty as it comes out the radiator because well, yeah. it's going to run all over the undercarriage and everything else. So it makes sense to go ahead and, and do it all at one time. It's not like a thermostat costs a thousand dollars. No, a uh, thermostat is now, generally ten to thirty-five dollars. Some on what of kind them, of car. some of them are difficult to yeah, get to. Some of the really expensive ones that come with the housing might be forty or fifty dollars. But again, they're way way less expensive than an overheat, like we talked about last week. Sure, the things that can occur when the engine overheats. So it's just another one of those things called collateral operation. Mm-hmm. You change both while you're there and. So what's some of the other ones you can do? Doing struts. Right. Struts on the front of a vehicle. You've got the mount out because it is part of the spring assembly, strut assembly. Right. It's all compressed together. Go ahead and change that mount now because right. all that is is a bonded piece of rubber. Mm-hmm. And after 100,000, 120,000 miles, that rubber wears out and it breaks and it starts making noise. That's right. When you take the strut out, the mount is there. You have it in your hand. You have to physically take it off the strut. So now is the time to change it. Well, another thing that comes to my mind would be like the stabilizer bar end links. Uh-huh. Those give a lot of problems, and usually they're attached to the strut. So check those before you start on a job. If they look even remotely bad, this is a great time to go ahead and change those. You're going to have one end off anyway. That's right. Because you're taking the strut out. So it's much easier to go ahead and do it right now. Sure. Another thing are like front-end parts. For instance, ball joints, tie rods, these sorts of things where one side has failed. Uh-huh. Now, when one side has failed, you got to remember, both have been down the same road. They both hit, I mean, the right side might hit more bumps than the left side. But unless your money is really, really tight, if you're going to change one, go ahead and just change them both. Sure. Because the other is subsequently going to fail. Now, when it does, you got to tear the front end back down again. Which means another alignment. Another front end alignment, which just that probably costs more than just go ahead and replace both of the components at the same time. Align it and be done with it. That's right. So I'm not talking about changing parts that are perfectly good that don't need to be changed. Let's say you've got a car with 30,000 miles, the ball joint happens to fail. Well, I'd probably put one ball joint on that one. Sure. Because that was a fluke. Maybe something was wrong with that ball joint. Maybe it got hit and got bent. That's fine. Even a shock absorber, let's say you've got, sometimes if you work in a dealership, you may see a brand new car come in with, 8,000 miles and a strut's leaking, just defective strut. Well, it would be prudent just to change the one strut. Uh-huh. But on a car with 100,000 miles, that would be silly to change one strut. Right, because they're both wore out. That's right. Just and only one of them is leaking. And when you put one new and one old one, it's going to do all the work. And oh, it's yeah. going to start bouncing around, acting crazy. You're not going to know what's wrong with your car. So it's just one of those things where you just go ahead and do them both while you're there. we got a bunch more of those we're going to go over. We're going to take one last quick little break. Be right back with more of the automotive hour. Hey, Lewis Alzan, Magco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know... Because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. Forty years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. 
Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersam. We're back to Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Carey, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Still got a few minutes. Go ahead and give us a call. Try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. And we were on a topic of changing items yeah. as you were Collateral doing other work. Collateral changing. Part changing, yeah. yeah. Something comes to mind is the brake calipers. Mm-hmm. Some of your brake calipers now have a plastic type. They call it a phenolic piston. It's actually a a plastic-type material. Mm -hmm. And over time, they get contaminated, and they will jam up. Well, and what we see, and again, this is more experience than anything else, but like, let's say your Chevy pickup trucks. With the rear disc brakes. Right. It's got ceramic pad, which generally lasts 100-plus thousand miles. Right. But when they go bad and you push the pistons back in, that's when they stick. We get them in all the time. Someone's done a brake service on it. And now the rear wheels are smoking and burned uh-huh. up. And those calipers are not that expensive. No, they're not. While you're in, in on that particular model, at least, we generally are going to recommend a set of calipers to the sure. customer. And it ultimately, the customer decides what he wants to do because right. it's his money, and he's taking the risk. So he's paying me for my advice. Right. My advice is, on this one, we have seen a lot of, of failure subsequent to changing the pads. Now, if he says, okay, well, I'll roll the dice, okay, great. That's yeah. your choice. But you can't have it both ways if you say, well, no, I don't want to change them, and then it comes back with rear wheels burn, but you can't hold the shop responsible. That's right. Now, if the shop says, no, they're fine, don't worry about it, and they, well, now you got a different issue. So you got to listen to what the guy says, and you got to pick someone who has your best interest at heart. Sure. But all that being said, now, another thing on calipers, one of the things, especially with the steel piston calipers, that I find what makes those calipers go bad, because when we have a failure on a steel piston caliper, we tear it down, and generally it's got a bunch of rubber debris in it. Right, and the brake hose that connects the body to the brake caliper, those usually break down internally, mm-hmm. and the pieces end up in the caliper bore, and they get stuck in the seal and behind the piston. Well, and that's and what makes sometimes the cause a leak. Sometimes they'll hang up. You know, the rest of the system is steel lines and fluid. Right. So there's not really a whole nothing lot, else to go. Other than corrosion, is not a whole right. lot to go wrong. Most of them are stainless steel, so you really even corrosion is not too much of a problem. So if you're going to change the calipers on a high-mileage car, let's say you've got 150,000, 200,000 miles in your car, take a real good look at those hoses sure. and consider changing the rubber hoses because they do break down. In they fact, do. I wrote an article years ago on my website. You type in brake hose. It's got a lot of information. It shows a hose cut apart. And we have fixed a lot of problems by changing brake hoses. It's one oh, of those definitely. things that gets overlooked a lot. It does. And, and the way they're designed, brace off of the suspension components and the little bracket. I've seen the bracket start corrode inside, mm-hmm. and they will constrict the hose down internally because of the corrosion building between the hose and the bracket. Well, and you start to get a pull on braking. You hit the brakes, and it dives in the other lane. And ironically, a lot of times, let's say you hit the brakes, it dives to the right, people change the right brake hose. Right, I've seen but that a lot. In reality, it's generally going to be the hose on the opposite side. Right, because the one on the right side is working. It's working, that's why it's that's pulling why that way. That's right. Yeah, the other one is not working, and so that's why it pulls towards the wheel that's braking. So, 
again, one of those things that it's you got one end of it apart anyway. It's just a lot less expensive to go ahead and just replace well, those you got, while you're in there. You got to take it off anyway to change right. the brake pads. So That's it's right. off in your hand. You got one hose connection, mm-hmm. and the caliper is off the vehicle mm-hmm. at that point. So, it, like you say, it'd be just wise to go ahead and, and change it while you're there. Other things, picking on Chevy truck again, the vent valve on mm-hmm. the EVAP system, those give a lot of trouble. The vent valves go out, I'd say, about every two years. You can almost count on an evaporative vent valve. Right, it's going to throw vehicle. the check engine light on. You're going to get a, what is it, a P4? 455, I believe 455, it is. 455, 454, something like that. Yeah, and what we have found is that there's also a part called a purge, purge valve. valve. Right. which operates almost the same amount as a vent valve. It's inexpensive, and it's very easy to change. So when you come in with the check engine light on, we're going to recommend both of those to you, the vent valve and the purge valve. Now, again, it's up to the customer. He makes the call because it's his money. He says, no, I don't want to change it. Okay, great. But right. now, if what three months think? later come back with a check engine light on again, then you got to know, okay, well, this is a whole other deal. We've got to go in, diagnose it again, and all that. So your costs are going to be fairly high. Right. Whereas you were right there, there's basically – almost no extra labor to change it, and it's about a $40 part, so it's not a really expensive thing. It's one of those things that you might want to go ahead and consider just adding into the job, and Mm -hmm. that way way you're you're done with the job. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about replacing engines. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got this whole engine assembly out of the vehicle. That's right. There are certain things that are buried underneath it that you might consider changing. For instance, a Cadillac, 4.9 in a Cadillac. The alternator is down low underneath the block, right. and it hangs between the, the bottom of the block and the engine cradle. Mm-hmm. The only way to get that alternator out is to unbolt it off the block. Then you have to drop the engine cradle out to get the alternator off. Two and a half, three-hour job. Right, and if you move the engine cradle, then you have to do an alignment again. And let's say you've got 250,000 miles in this car. Right. Okay, how long is that alternator going to last? It's just a matter of time with Chevrolet. So That's... you might want to go ahead and just replace the alternator while you're there. Now, right. another thing, obviously, that comes to my mind, and that's the engine mounts. Sure. Again, the engine's out, the mount is right there. Some Two... engine mounts are fairly easy to change. In that case, I might be willing to roll the dice. But on cars where it maybe is an eight-hour job to come back and change these engine mounts. Exactly. Now's the time. They're now out. Now is the time. Another thing would be, how about the front seal on the transmission? Because I've got the engine out, that front seal is sitting right there. Seal generally costs about twelve, fourteen dollars. If it starts leaking down the road, I got to take either the transmission or the engine back out of the car. Exactly. And so, why not go ahead and just do it right now while it's all sitting there? One other thing that kind of occurs to me, and occasionally we will install maybe a used transmission, right? Lower mileage transmission, all. Certainly, it is wise, in my opinion, to go ahead and drop the pan change the filter and the fluid on that transmission before you install it in the car. Sure. And I want to do that before I install it on the car because if I drop the pan, I'm going to cut the old filter open. If that filter is full of metal, then I'm going to send the transmission right back again. I'm not going to put it all the way. I'm not going to spend six hours installing it in the car to find out that, hey, this is a bad transmission. Exactly. You can so, take, it at, take it to the bench, turn it upside down, pull the pan off, and like you said, cut the filter open. It's right there on the bench. Now, when you go back with transmission, you got fresh fluid and fresh filter, right. and you're ready to go ahead and go. So, hey, that's just a few little ideas. We'll try to talk about more of those next week. We're just about out of time today, so we're going to go ahead and start winding on up. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, and if the service has a written rating area, please give us a written rating. That's right. It moves up in the ratings, and that way we can get more people listening, which means we can keep on doing the show. And we also appreciate it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.